listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 30 of the Testudo Times Podcast, the pre-everybody's-gonna-die-because-we-can't-get-out-due-to-30-inches-of-snow edition. I'm joined by two people tonight because there was another apocalypse on Monday involving Maryland football, excuse me. Alex Kirster is here back from his trip to a place where there aren't going to get 30 inches of snow in a day. Uh, hi, Alex. Welcome hey, back. Hey, how are you? Uh, I'm good. There are going to be 30 inches of snow where I am. But school's first day on Monday might be canceled. That's going to be It seems perfect. likely. It seems like It's probably going to happen. Yeah. And Brian Connors, who held the site in great stead while Alex was away, is also here to talk about the pending apocalypse and the one that already happened. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Hey, Matt. How, how are your wisdom teeth doing? They are well far and out. That's uh, able to talk. Yeah. You should have asked that last week. But anyway, you know why we're here. We have to talk about the football. We'll also get to the basketball a little bit later. Two games and a big one to preview on Saturday that everybody's going to be watching because nobody's going to be able to go anywhere. Isn't that fun? So, Alex, if you haven't already heard, everybody already knows that Maryland lost Keandre Jones and Dwayne Haskins to Ohio State. It's bad. It was also, though fairly expected as time went on. And I remember you mentioning on many podcasts previous, especially the ones right after Randy Edsel got fired, even though Haskins was committed to Maryland verbally, you were pointing out that this was still quite likely of a possibility. Yeah. I mean, that's the nature of these verbal commitments. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the NCAA has kind of fallen into a system where uh, I think kids are pressured to give verbal commitments pretty early on in their recruiting processes. And when you're someone like Dwayne Haskins, who is going to be sought after by every major program in the country, no matter what you do, um, and then you have a coaching change at the school um, that you had initially committed to, that's just a lot of factors that kind of make for a perfect storm that ultimately led Dwayne Haskins to Ohio State. And Keandre Jones was apparently tied in with him. I don't remember if that right. was a thing. Was that a thing? Well, I mean, they're they're friends. As as Dwayne Haskins announced uh, when he announced Jones's commitment with him for Jones. Um, you know, they, they've grown up in the same area, uh, and by virtue of being two of the best players in the area in the same year, um, it, it would make a lot of sense that they've gotten to know each other pretty well over, the, over that time. So am I the only person to think that this probably hurts more in the short term for optics than it does actually on the football field? We'll never know what Dwayne Haskins would have been able to do with this Maryland team as it is presently constructed, but at least right now, the only thing that I can see that's being a big deal is the movement, so to speak takes a much bigger hit than Maryland football probably will, even though Maryland football did take a pretty big hit. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think for the, I think for the long term, it's actually pretty significant too. Um, you know, this is one of the best quarterback prospects that Maryland would have ever had uh, in, in really the history of its program, if not the best coming out of high school. Um, and not only is he a really good prospect, but he's out of position where Maryland was a disaster last year. It has been a disaster um, for the last... You know, conservatively, conservatively, um, four to five years, and I think even longer than that, people would tell you have watched the program. Um, and Keandre Jones is, is an even more highly touted recruit than Haskins um, at a position where Maryland's graduating a couple of guys uh, or at least similar playing style um, players leaving for the NFL. So it's, uh, it's tough. It's not going to help. No, of course it's not going to help. But, Ryan... We've mentioned it on this show before. Maryland's schedule next year is fairly easy in comparison to what they had last year. But even then, in the short term, even with Haskins and Jones, they wouldn't have been amazing. And my question is, 
with those two, I don't know if Maryland's ceiling, even under DJ Durkin, for all the good things that he's been doing to start his tenure in College Park, I don't know if the ceiling really would have been any different because of the division Maryland plays in. Yeah, I mean, Maryland's just, if you're expecting Maryland to be beating Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State anytime soon, you're probably being pretty unrealistic. Um, I don't know. I just think it really, like, just Maryland's quarterback position last year really just, it cannot be understated how much of a disaster that was. And it's hard to think Haskins wouldn't have helped, you know, if not freshman year, I think it would have been a pretty major improvement by a sophomore year. Well, that's true. I have no doubt about that. And I have no doubt that Maryland's quarterback situation will improve by virtue of the fact that Caleb Rowe and Perry Hills will have to go away at some point. And that's no offense to them. They probably are very, very nice gentlemen to talk to, but they're not very good quarterbacks. But Alex, you mentioned this too. There's a new offense coming in with an offensive coordinator that took far less talented players, far less touted players at Arkansas State and made them pretty good. So do we really know what to expect from the two quarterbacks now that we know that it's going to be one of those two unless there's a grad transfer and we can't really predict that at this point? Either well, Bell could maybe make this a little bit more tolerable, at least next season. I mean, I think that Walt Bell, as you mentioned, I mean, he, he put together a couple of pretty good offenses at Arkansas State, um, including with a quarterback, Freddie Knighton, who really can't throw a football very far. Um, <laughs> I, I've so, never watched him, so I'm just Yeah, I mean, it's, this, it's, this he, he really can't throw a football very far. Um, it, it's a very West Coasty kind of spread for him. Um, and, and I think that Big Ten teams up, you know, up and down the conference over the years um, have managed to put together decent quarterbacks out of three-star recruits. Um, now, that was never going to happen at Maryland under Mike Loxley, um, who demonstrably was not very good at coaching quarterbacks, which is not a great trait in your quarterback's coach. Um, he recruited them. He did recruit him. He did recruit him, but he, he didn't coach him very well. Um, so it'll be kind of tough um, for Maryland to, to see exactly what – it's kind of tough to predict um, what exactly will be with Walt Bell. Um, but he's had success. I mean, he hasn't had success in, in a power conference. And so, you know, the Big Ten is, is not the Sun Belt. But uh, I think that given Caleb Rowe's arm strength and given um, Perry Hills' running ability, uh, I would think Maryland's that, receivers, too. And, and Maryland's receivers um, may be getting a little bit better um, over the next couple of years. I kind of expect that Maryland's going to find a way um, either with Hills going the mobile option or with Rowe going the throwing option um, with Walt Bell to figure something out. I do think it'll get better, uh, if only because it really it really has nowhere to go but up. That's true. And, Ryan, I think we've talked about it before. The Maryland's going to recruit a quarterback eventually. Don't know when it's going to be, but you figure that's going to happen soon. And the one thing that we can say is D.J. Durkin's a pretty good recruiter. I don't think this this is obviously not on him. You know, you can't really blame kids for changing their mind and going to dream schools, Ohio State, when there's a coaching change. And even with D.J. Durkin, who, mind you, already flipped a really highly rated offensive line recruit, could possibly get a D-line recruit to commit to Maryland over Alabama. He's already done some pretty good things to start his tenure, as we mentioned before. There's really not much you can say about him other than he tried his best to prevent the inevitable, I guess. Yeah, I mean— one thing that Pete mentioned when he was on the podcast back a while ago is, you know, if you're okay with Edsel getting fired, then you you have to accept that, you know, recruits are going to leave. And one of those recruits obviously had to be Dwayne Haskins just because he was so – he seemed to be so tied to Mike Loxley. And, yeah, even, even so, I think, you know, 
Maryland fans, as you've probably seen on Twitter, are actually, or like uh, if you've been reading Dan Steinberg lately, Maryland fans would probably take, um, he said Maryland fans would probably take DJ Durkin and a tackling dummy over Randy Edsel and Dwayne Haskins. So I don't know I if that's true. Say, I, was I, about I, to say, I was about to say, we did see that on Twitter quite a bit. I don't know who posted, I think it was, I don't remember who posted the question, but yes. I think most Maryland fans would take DJ Durkin and a tackling dummy over Randy Edsel and Tom Brady at this point. You know, it, that's just the way it's been going with Edsel. I think everybody has Edsel burnout. So I, I don't think that's the wrong decision. And Alex, I know we're not the biggest into the recruiting process, but Maryland's been trying desperately to just get a QB in for this class because they have to. We don't know who it is. Uh, talk about some of the names that we've been seeing linked with the Terps. They've got two weeks left before national signing date, so they'll have a chance to get something done before then. But this recruit, whoever he is, is not going to be an immediate impact player. Uh, probably not. Probably not. Um, I mean, Maryland's involved in the recruitment of a couple quarterbacks right now. Um, I know that DJ Durkin, um, actually just, I just spoke a, a couple of minutes ago with the uh, head coach at Bishop McNamara, which has three-star Ramar Williams, um, who a lot of Maryland's recruits seem to want. Um, Durkin visited there last week and, and met with him. Uh, Maryland hasn't offered him yet, but I think there's going to be a push um, that's already underway, really, for Maryland to bring him into the program. Um, there's uh, Terrell Pigrome from Alabama, um, who's this dual-threat quarterback who can run quite a bit. Um, there is uh, Chase Forsade from Louisiana, who Walt Bell um, had offered when he was at Arkansas State and who is now a Nichols State commit. Um, probably not the best situation to be flipping commits from Nichols State if you're a Big Ten program. But um, you know, there are options out there. I when think Devin... When your recruiting rankings are worse than Rutgers, what are you going to do? Right, right. Um, but there's also Lindsey Scott from Louisiana, a, a dual threat who Maryland offered um, right as Dwayne Haskins was going out the door. Um, so there are a couple of different names of, of quarterbacks who, um, with the right molding, could, could certainly make an impact. But you're right. There's nobody who, um, as a freshman, will come in and save the day as Dwayne Haskins may or may not have been able to do. We, know, we won't actually know the answer to that question. Does it hurt worse knowing that it's Ohio State? That, you know, because if Maryland was in the ACC and this happened, I don't, we still would have been angry, but I don't think we would have been as angry now that Dwayne Haskins and Keandre Jones are coming back to College Park in November. I don't really, I, I, I compared it to Justin Anderson before. I don't really think that's fair because he's not, because not that Haskins and Jones were disparaging Maryland like Anderson was. I still don't think they're going to be getting much love at Bird Stadium in November, don't you? Uh, probably not. Probably not. But I, I also think that people should bear in mind, um, like I've said before, that we're, we're a little bit unfair to these kids. Um, you know, they're high school kids dealing with the biggest decisions of their lives. Uh, it, it's not a particularly easy thing to do. Um, I understand people are going to be upset. I just hope that we, uh, as a community here, don't um, don't embarrass ourselves by, by going after kids because these kids are 17, 18 years old. Um, it's it's okay to be disappointed, particularly with Haskins, who was sort of the ringleader of this local movement thing and then left. Um, but these are kids. I mean, they're they're kids um, who just got their driver's licenses, and it's a little bit strong um, to to go after them too much. As for if it hurts more that it's Ohio State, um, yeah, because they're in the same division, so it, it's going to be tough. Uh, I don't know. Does Maryland... wait, can I? Can we also say that you know most football recruits are going to choose Ohio State over Maryland? I think that's one oh, thing yeah. in mind. Uh whole thing like if these guys hadn't been from maryland they would like maryland probably would have had just zero shot that's true i can't argue with that so otherwise 
Maryland's got National Signing Day coming up, though. There will be more recruits coming in. They still have a couple of guys from the DMV that they've that they've been able to commit. It's good. More will definitely come. I don't think the movement's going to end because of this. It takes a hit. But you're not going to be able to keep every single recruit from the DMV, even though they're trying to. And you have to give Maryland credit for at least trying, which is more than can be said about what they did in the past. Right? So let's move on to happier times when Maryland thumped Ohio State in something. 100-65. to 65. That was fun. We'll talk about that game in a second, but I first want to talk about Northwestern since it's fresh in our minds, Alex. Last night was an interesting night for Maryland basketball. Not on the offensive end. It wasn't a very good night for them. But defensively, Mark Turgeon said to BTN after the game that that was the best defense he's seen his team play maybe ever since he got to College Park. And it seems like it, especially down the stretch when they needed defensive stops, they got them at every single opportunity. What do we take away from that game last night? Uh, we take away that Maryland is 17-2, and two, which is a good thing. Um, but, you know, it was definitely discouraging to see the uh, the offensive rebound numbers, I think, in particular. They got outboarded offensively 17-4, to four, which is crazy. I mean, that's, that's absolutely crazy. Like, but they that won happen, in spite of that. They did win in spite of that. Um, and that, that probably says something. Um, but, yeah, Maryland does need to be, I think, uh, a little bit better about uh, about not getting out-muscled by teams that have no rotation players. Well, actually, Alex Hole was back, so they had a seven-footer. Yeah, but even um, nothing. But, but, but not, getting, not getting muscled around by smaller teams, particularly on their home court. That really can't work for Maryland. Well, no, of course it can't. But, Ryan, I think we should say this. Diamondstone was out pretty quickly with two fouls. That played a large part in it. But otherwise, you know, you also had Robert Carter, who didn't have as great a game as you'd like to see. But, again, defensively, they were fantastic. You know, in the aspects of, yes, they got killed on the offensive glass, which is something we saw Maryland have problems with last year. Defensively, they were spectacularly good, particularly Testudo Times' favorite, Jake Lehman. Yeah, I mean, Lehman, he's really, I mean, he's really impressed on defense all season just with his feet. And, like, he... I don't know if he leads the team in blocks, but he's definitely up there. He had three more last night. I thought it was also impressive that the team played so well defensively despite the lack of Michael Tchaikovsky, who's been, you know, he doesn't provide much on offense, but he's been very solid defensively this season, and he could that could be a reason Maryland didn't get as many rebounds. I don't know, missing a seven-footer like that certainly doesn't help. But, uh, yeah, I thought their defense was very good. Alex, do you think that played a large role? Because we saw them go very small at quite a few points in this game, and Northwestern was doing it too. But because they only had Stone and Dodd, Tchaikovsky wasn't healthy. Diamond Stone had the foul trouble, and DeMonte Dodd had some defensive issues, which is a little bit rare. Is that why we saw such a disparity on the glass last night? I think it has something to do with it, but I think at the end of the day, the biggest problem was that just Maryland just wasn't strong enough, wasn't aggressive enough. Um, you know, you, you're, No matter what kind of lineup Maryland plays with, Maryland's going to have more size and more athleticism um, than even the, the bigger lineups that they face. Um, and that, that's not going to be true against every team, and it's not going to be true against Purdue or Michigan State, um, but it is true against Northwestern. Uh, and Maryland, no matter the kind of lineup that was out there, should have done a much better job cleaning up its own class. Of course they did, but I think a lot of the issues people are going to have was just how many second-chance opportunities Northwestern had, particularly early. There were a bunch of chances where you're just thinking, get the offensive Get the board already. Come on. Why is it taking six chances to do it? What was Northwestern doing, Ryan, that caused Maryland to play this badly? Uh, I mean, I couldn't really really give you anything in particular. I what mean, did you see? I, I had a thought that what Chris Collins after the game um, had talked about Northwestern 
being willing to kind of pack in a tight zone. Um, they didn't play zone strictly last night, um, but being willing to pack in the paint and prevent Diamond Stone and Robert Carter from just doing whatever they wanted, letting Maryland shoot jumpers. Um, against Ohio State, Maryland didn't miss, and they won by 35 points. They scored 100. Um, last night, Maryland missed. I mean, Maryland was 4 of 7 on three-pointers, um, and, and Northwestern's strategy worked uh, in that respect. I mean, if you keep Maryland away from the basket, you know, no matter how good they are at shooting, and they are really, really good at shooting, um, you're going to have cold nights. And Maryland had a cold night where it wasn't able to just assert itself with the hoop, and, and that was that. We saw instances where they did get to the basket, but it was mainly Melo Trimble playing hero ball. And while that's good, obviously, you kind of win inside. And it happened, I guess, a bit towards the end of the game. And in overtime, it started to finally lessen up a bit. But do you think we're going to see teams play more of that tight matchup zone? Because Mark Turgeon said it was a problem last night uh, in the interview with BTN after the game. Do you think we're going to see more teams try that just to make Maryland say, all right, you beat us with jump shots? Yeah. Oh, that's for me. Um yeah, I mean, you might as well. I think anything to pressure the guys outside and avoid and, and avoid an easy entry to Diamond Stone and Robert Carter is going to be something that other teams are going to try to do. And especially with Rashid Suleiman has been pretty off lately. And Mello hasn't. Mello scored 18 points last night on eight of 18 shooting, which is which is fine. But he was one for six on three pointers, which is big. I think if teams continue to pressure him and he continues to miss threes like that that's gonna be a problem however i don't think he's gonna keep missing threes like this alex i want to talk about rashid suleiman for a second if you don't mind because we've seen him go have really good games and then really bad games particularly offensively not defensively i thought he was pretty good on brian mcintosh last night in the majority of the game as maryland's entire team was great defensively but he didn't score any points until overtime he had a great game against northwestern in the first meeting back in evanston earlier this month and he was great against Ohio State. But he seemingly is going hot and cold when it was shooting. And in last night's game, he wasn't taking many shots. So what's the thing with Rashid Suleiman? Is it confidence? What, what do we make of this a little bit of inconsistency? I don't think it's confidence. I just think that given Maryland's roster makeup this year, um, there are going to be nights when uh, you know some players are not going to be as involved in the offense. Um, when that's Jake Lehman, which it is sometimes, you know, people take that as a uh, you know, Jake Lehman not trying, Jake Lehman, <laughs> Jake Lehman not being aggressive enough. Our comment just, section going on it, fire. It, it just it just kind of suits suits a narrative. But you know, there's Rashid Zulman isn't forcing shots this year, and I think that's a pretty good thing. I mean, he's been pretty selective. Um, and you know, granted, he's he's taken a lot of three pointers. He's taken more three pointers um, than almost everybody on Maryland's roster this year, um, and he's making almost fifty percent of them. So you know, he's. I think when the shots are there for Rashid, he takes them. Um, when they're not, he's not. Um, he he doesn't feel forced to go ahead and and create them for himself in the same way that that maybe he did um, earlier in his career at Duke. When he really he he didn't have to either at Duke, given the talent he had there. Um, I think now he he's pretty cognizant of what's around him, and sometimes the game comes to you, sometimes it doesn't, and when when it doesn't, he's he's content just being a perimeter defender, and that's okay. So what's the biggest concern, Ryan, you have going into what we thought was going to be Maryland's biggest game of the season? It might still well be their biggest game of the season, at least in the regular season. What's the biggest concern coming from Northwestern going to Michigan State on Saturday for you? Um, I mean, my biggest concern really isn't even with Michigan State. I think their team, Maryland, can certainly handle. I just wonder if Maryland's going to keep forcing turnover, keep uh, turning the ball over like there were last night. I think getting off getting out rebounded again is a definite possibility. I don't know. I just think if 
if you don't have one player who has a hot game, like Maryland's been a lot of ga- a lot of games, it's been one player has really kind of stepped up, and it hasn't been Melo Trimble in a while, which except for last night, which is fine. But uh, you worry if they go cold shooting again that uh, it's not going to be a very fun game. Well, what about Michigan State? They are not playing very well recently. They just lost to Iowa at home, got blown out. Lost at Wisconsin. They play Nebraska tonight. Nebraska's a decent team. They don't have Tum Tum Nair. And Denzel Valentine's still getting reacclimated into the offense. This is about as good a time as any to play Michigan State, Alex, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah, I think Denzel Valentine isn't completely back to himself yet. Um, and, and Michigan State just looks in general a lot less formidable than it did a couple of weeks ago. Um, the far more difficult game coming up for Maryland is Iowa. Um, of course, which, because of course which, it is. Which absolutely clocked Michigan State twice, um, including... The second Spencer. one at the Breslin Center was yeah. one of the most impressive things I've seen in college. Yeah, I was, I was great. I was really, really, really good. But focus so, yeah, on this. I, I, do, I think Maryland can um, go to Michigan State and win this game. I, I don't know that I'd expect it, per se. Uh, you know, Michigan State is still, I, I think, a pretty good team and, and pretty close um, in, in overall ability to Maryland. But... Um, you know they're cold. They don't they don't force a lot of turnovers on defense, which is a really good thing for Maryland. They're actually one of the worst teams in the country um, at forcing turnovers. And, and yeah, I mean it, it's a team that, despite Denzel Valentine being great um, and having a couple of guys who can really hit the glass and, and having shooting ability, that um, doesn't look terrific. So yeah. So let's talk about this game from another angle that we really haven't talked about a lot on this podcast. And I know Alex, you posted something about this in the game recap last night and on Twitter a couple of days ago. This is a huge game for Maryland's tournament resume. Obviously, we're not talking about them in the way that we could have last year in missing the tournament. But when you look at seeding purposes, Maryland could right now, in one of the bracketology things I saw, they were a four seed, which you can't really argue with because what is Maryland's best win right now? Uh, probably UConn. Which, and is know. that an amazing win? Nope. Maryland does not have a quality win. Not yet. They don't have a great win. And their schedule, no. what can you do? They expected Georgetown to be better than they were, and they lost at North Carolina. There's not much you can say about no, I mean, Maryland's had one chance for a quality win. That's, that's, true. Really, that's really it. And their conference limits them in the chance that they have to get quality wins, unlike, say, the Big East, the Big 12, and the ACC, which you're playing pretty much a quality opponent every night and a chance to get statement wins. So if Maryland's going to get matched up against, let's say, Oklahoma, not maybe a bad example, but Oklahoma versus Maryland in terms of resumes, if they, even if Oklahoma has more losses than Maryland does, that's a battle I think Oklahoma is going to win because they'll just have a flat better resume than Maryland. And seeding at these tournaments is important, especially not just in terms of who you play, but in terms of Maryland could end up playing in Brooklyn and in Philly. Those would basically be Maryland, not entirely Maryland home games, but those would be pretty close to Maryland home games. That's about as good as you can ask for. So this Michigan State game, the Iowa game coming up. There may be Maryland's two biggest games of the season specifically for just resume-building reasons because, as we said, other teams are going to have chances to build their resumes almost night in and night out. And Maryland, after these next two games, they really don't until they play Indiana, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Um, or, no, go ahead, Alex. No, you go ahead. You yeah, take- well, no, I mean, I was pretty much – Matt pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I mean, that's – when Alex tweeted that out the other night, I was kind of – I was almost surprised realizing that, like, Iowa – and I guess Purdue are the only top 10 Ken Palm ranked teams Maryland's going to play the rest of the season. So they, and they're not going to they're not going to sweep every Ohio State, Iowa, Purdue game or uh, sorry, Iowa, Michigan State, Purdue game. That's definitely not going to happen. 
but they definitely need to at least win a couple of those games because that's the only chance they have at even like a semi-good uh, quality win. But as we said, like Alex, this is kind of similar to last year when Maryland was fine. They had, didn't have a bad loss really anywhere. They played pretty well against most teams, but the problem was their resume just didn't have a lot of quality wins, so we were all stunned when Maryland ended up getting a four seed in the tournament. And it was because, well, they just didn't have the quality wins to back it up. So what did you say? So what do you think? Is this these kind of games are still critically important, right, Alex? They are. I, I think they matter, but also at the end of the day, I think if Maryland wins the Big Ten tournament, then mm-hmm. you know they're going to be a one seed or a two seed, and, and that's going to be that. Uh, there's pretty good precedent for for Big Ten teams um, who don't have amazing regular season resumes winning in the Big Ten tournament, and then getting high seeds in the NCAAs. Uh, Wisconsin last year being the best example of that. Uh, Wisconsin really, despite having a great record last year, didn't beat anybody. I mean, the Badgers didn't have like an exciting win. Um, you know, their, 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 their best chance at one was when they played Duke at the beginning of the season, got absolutely walloped, um, I, I believe, and in the neutral side. And they lost to Rutgers. Um, and they did lose to Rutgers. Um, but then they won the Big Ten tournament. And they got, uh, was it a one-seed or a two-seed that Wisconsin had last year? I believe a two, but I can't remember for sure. Um, I think it was way, a one, but anyway. It, it might have been a one. It was a, high, it was a very high seed, um, and, and Wisconsin obviously used that to his advantage to get deep into the tournament. Uh, if Maryland wins the Big Ten, I think they're going to be pretty well fine um, no matter what else they've done. But I do think that the chances of Maryland um, winning at least one or two games against Michigan State, Iowa, and Purdue are pretty good. And uh, Indiana. And, and those, those will be quality wins. And Indiana. I mean, I know we I mean, don't want to think Indiana's good, but we have to. And well, that would Indiana's, be the last game of the season. Indiana's uh, interesting. Indiana's interesting. I, I don't think Indiana's a whole lot different than Indiana was last year. Um, Indiana's a great scoring team. Great scoring team. Uh, really can't play defense at all. I mean, That's it's true. Absolutely pitiful defensively for a second year in a row. Um, and despite having five or six amazing offensive players on their team, um, really, really not a whole lot doing there um, on the other side of the court. Well, we'll see. Now, that game's at the end of the season in March. I can't believe that's just how the Big Ten schedule works. Let's quickly get to the Ohio State game. There isn't really much to say about it because Maryland, I, I don't know if I've ever seen Maryland blow a conference team out like that, at least in my time watching Maryland. And this was not a terrible, this isn't Rutgers. This is a fringe tournament team with some talented players. They're very young. They're inconsistent. But this is a team that beat Kentucky. And Maryland just blew them out of the gym, Ryan. I mean, by the second half, it was kind of amazing just that how much Ohio State was on the bus, which is why I was kind of surprised. Dwayne Haskins, why are you going to Ohio State? They quit on Maryland in basketball. So is there much else to take from that game other than Maryland got hot, everybody got hot, and they just walloped a decent team? Yeah, I mean, I, Ohio State's not uh, particularly that good, but um, at least I don't think. Uh, another thing to take away is that beating a team in basketball doesn't help you get football recruits. Uh, in case well, duh, I think we all. And um, yeah, I mean, it it really showed the difference between these two teams versus this year and last year when uh, Ohio State was able to take it to Maryland and this year before. Yeah, I mean, there's I, I don't think there's anything big to take away. That's only that's that's what Maryland can look like when they're firing all cylinders. Amelo Trimble didn't score in the first half, and Maryland scored 48 and was winning by 18, Alex. We've seen – I love the dichotomy of the Michigan game when Melo Trimble scored two points in the first couple of minutes and didn't score again, and the Ohio State game where he didn't score in the first half, and Maryland was still destroying a somewhat decent team by 18. It shows you the way Maryland can play and how many different kinds of games that they can play. 
And then you had the Northwestern game where they weren't great offensively, got killed on the glass, but were fantastic defensively and won a slugfest. It shows you kind of how versatile this team is in the ways they can play and the ways that they can win games, which is incredibly important come tournament time, as we've said. Yeah, I was writing last night, actually, after the game, that this uh, this whole genre of game is becoming very familiar to Maryland. Um, playing at home against a, a lesser opponent, um, playing really pretty poorly. Um, you know, mediocre is probably the best descriptor of it. Um, and then, you know, going to the last minute, um, you know, within about one basket, either direction. I mean, you just kind of know Maryland's going to win. Um, and it'll be kind of, like, dumb. Like, the game will be kind of dumb, but Maryland will go ahead and win anyway. Um, and then, you know, afterward, you know, the other team played reasonably well. You know, Maryland still should have won by more, but still wasn't actually going to lose. I mean, I think the Terps are getting uh, pretty comfortable in, in those situations. Which is kind of nice to see. And, again, Ben Palm's luck stat is pretty great when it comes to that. But Maryland's down in the luck stat. Where are they, actually? And that luck stat this season uh, yeah. down a little. I think they're 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 positive luck, but they're not anywhere near the. But they're top. not number one. Uh, no, they're, I think they're they're one hundred fifty first. As a matter of fact, that's not that bad considering where it was last year and how much everybody hated Ken Palm because of it. Yeah. So that's really all we can say. Watch the Michigan State game on Saturday. I'm very curious to see how it goes. Well, everybody's going to be watching it because there's going to be snow apocalypse in Washington. So uh, hopefully you have your shovels and your snow and uh, a pretty heavy jacket. Right, Alex? I hope so. Hopefully your muscles don't get sore afterwards. You're going to need to take an ice bath watching the conference title games on Sunday. After all the shoveling, you're probably going to have to do. <laughs> all right, Ryan, same to you, I guess. Well, maybe we don't really have to shovel all that much because we're college students, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully no shoveling, getting out of my house up in Massachusetts. and. Oh, yeah, you're not going to have it that bad. You're not going to have it that bad. Yeah. I'm sure people in the greater Washington area will respond uh, calmly, yeah. rationally. No, it's totally oh, oh. crazy, though. In in Massachusetts, they freak out just as much as everyone else every year. It it doesn't make any sense. See, in Pittsburgh, we like snow. I, I've, I've never understood this. I, I really feel like a rugged outdoorsman coming from western Pennsylvania <laughs> to College Park. And that's the perfect thing to sign off on because Alex just said Pittsburgh had rugged outdoorsmen. That's, that's, we're never going to top that comment on this podcast ever again. So uh, goodbye, everybody. Enjoy the snowstorm and uh, go Terps!